Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. Today we're doing something a little different. First, you'll hear an excerpt of a speech by Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services Chief Data Officer. He spoke at the recent ACT-IAC Digital Transformation Summit. Then you'll hear my interview with Justin, where we talk in more detail about some of the use cases he mentions during his speech. Here's Justin Marsico, the Bureau of Fiscal Service Chief Data Officer. A couple years ago, we started a project, fiscaldata.treasury.gov, where we assessed all of the typical data sets that we made available to the public. And what we found was that we published them across a bevy of different websites, across a number of different formats, many of which were not machine-readable. In almost all cases, there was no metadata uh, or data dictionaries attached to it. And really critically for our researchers, we only publish data in snapshots. So we publish data thinking of it as uh, a report mindset where we have today's figures, tomorrow's figures, the next day's figures. And if you're actually trying to do an analysis, it is very difficult to understand trends over time if your data is being published in single instance increments. So as a part of this project, we talked to our users, we understood what they wanted, and one of the things that they wanted was for it to be easy to, you know, to see longitudinal data sets. So we put all of our data sets together, so you can now go onto the website, you can select your historical period, you can access the data using APIs if you're looking for an automated way to build uh, technology. And we've defined all of our metadata and disclosed issues that we know about the data or just things that you may need to know uh, while you're doing your analysis. The second thing I wanted to talk about is work that we're doing internally to the fiscal service to leverage data to improve our own programs and operations. So deriving value from data does not happen in a vacuum. It does not happen by accident. It requires intention, planning, coordination, and commitment, and management and leadership. So in order to try to fulfill uh, that requirement, what we did is we came up with a specific strategic plan focused on using our own data internally. And again, because we're not just doing digital transformation for the sake of transforming, for the sake of becoming more digital, we tried to articulate exactly what we're trying to accomplish with our digital transformation efforts. And you can see it at the end of the sentence here, uh, that's printed in uh, in bold typeface. What we're trying to do is make better decisions. That's what we want to do internally. We want to make better hiring decisions. We want to make better budgetary decisions. We want to make better decisions about connecting our programs to the people that we serve, understanding who they are, where they're coming from, how to communicate with them in ways that they can understand and, they, and, uh, and understand their benefits. So once we've articulated what we're trying to accomplish, we came up with three different goals here. These are really ways in which we're trying to get to data-driven decision-making. The first is improving our data and our architecture. This is like typical CDO type of work, looking at the data that we have in our systems, understanding its quality, coming up with ways to improve it, making sure that we are able to access the data in a reasonable amount of time. If any of you have tried to work with data in organizations, one of the most common things that I hear just in talking to people in the data community is that I may know or you may know as an analyst what data is out there that you can use 
in order to come to a really great insight that's going to help your program, that's going to help your mission, but you can't get access to the data. You can't get access to the data because there's no formal rules for getting access to it or it's in a different system, which had never contemplated moving data from point A to point B, and the reasons go on and on. So this is what we're trying to do to improve our underlying architecture. Number two is to make sure that we are focusing on our workforce, the people who are actually going to be using data to make decisions. The third is just making sure that we are focused on the right types of analytics, that we're not just doing the easy analytics that are in front of us, but that we're deliberately looking across the organization, collecting use cases, prioritizing them, and working on the things that are going to deliver the highest value. I want to say one more thing about about this slide, which is that one of the ways that we think about these things intersecting with, with each other is to, to think about a basic economic supply and demand model. So if you think about <clears throat> trying to maximize data-driven decision-making in an organization, one way you can think about that is at the intersection of the supply of data and of the demand for data. And where those two things intersect, that's your organization's level of data-driven decision-making. And you can kind of like you know do a little bit of thinking yourself about how easy it is to access data what your supply looks like, how high quality or low quality it is. And you can do work to think about the demand for data, the people who are asking research questions, who are trying to find out how data can be used. And the place where those two things intersect is your level of data-driven decision-making. Most people start by just focusing on the supply side. What we're trying to do here is to focus on that, the demand side, the people who work in our organization, who understand how all of our business processes work, and make sure that those people are generating active demand for data and for making uh, data-driven decisions. So I have a couple of other reasons why I think this is an important thing for uh, data officers to focus on. But one is that in the government there is a lot of analysis that takes place within organizations that happens outside of the data officer's purview. Data analysis tends to be very decentralized. So one thing that's really important is building community. And we've tried to build a strong community of stakeholders, both because we want to encourage people to make make better decisions or to ask questions that can be answered with data, but also because we want to understand what they are doing and provide training and and resources to them. The point that I wanted to make is that, for us, this is a deliberate effort that we have spent a lot of time thinking about and implementing, and is not just just like a single initiative to, uh, to do a webinar and then try to change our culture. It's something that we're trying to do over and over and over again by building communities, by putting out guidance, Um, by putting out governance uh, models for for our analytics work. And then the last thing I wanted to focus on, uh, which I'll note quickly here, is one thing that has been really exciting and that our staff have responded to at the fiscal service with a lot of enthusiasm is when we provide training. When we would hold our community of practice events, we would routinely get like 50 to 60 people. And then we found that if we were delivering some type of data-related training, whether it's on Python or SQL, we would get people to come in the hundreds. And that was really surprising to us, and it led us to focus more and more on delivering data training to staff. And we created a a pilot this year where we 
um, established a curriculum using a online platform, but then also with uh, active engagement with uh, my staff, holding office hours, small group sessions, uh, little uh, analytics projects that people complete along the way. And we have 40 people who uh, were accepted into this first cohort and are going to go through a year-long program of receiving data training, and which will culminate in the completion of a capstone uh, project, which is an actual bit of work that we need to have done uh, related to analytics here. So we've had a lot of success on that front. So it's really important to focus on on the people in your organization um, and not just on the kind of standard data quality improvements, data accessibility improvements that are uh, traditional for data officers. We have to take a break. You just heard an excerpt of a speech from Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services Chief Data Officer at the recent ACT-IAC Digital Transformation Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services in the Treasury Department's Chief Data Officer. Justin, always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jason. Happy to chat. We were catching up after you gave a speech a few months ago, probably by now, at an ACT-IAC event where you talked about some data, some, some, if you will, it was almost like a use case, a best practice that you were highlighting about how you're at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service ensuring your employees understand how to use data. So let me start at the beginning. You had a 30 days of data science pilot. You started that in December. Discuss what it is, how it works, and what are some of its goals. First, uh, you referenced that we are trying to work with our workforce at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service to empower them and to help them to attain data-related skills. And I just want to spend a second talking about why I think that's important. Inside of the data community, we often focus on making data more accessible, making it more standardized, deploying state-of-the-art tools. And while that is all critical to our success, it's also very important to understand that our workforce are the ones responsible for running our programs, our processes, our operations, and they need to feel empowered to ask research questions or questions that can be answered with data and to go and find the data themselves on which to base their answers. So that's why we're focused on data education. It's not because we think our workforce is inadequate. On the contrary, we are trying to change our operating model to change the way that we do business. And we need for our workforce to be a part of that journey. And actually what we found so far is an avalanche of enthusiasm from the workforce to learn, to grow, to be a part of this project together. Okay, so to answer your question, the 30 days of data silence was a pilot that we did in December of 2021 to explore on a small scale how to leverage existing online data training platforms and to test the one that would be the most successful for our needs. Basically, we wanted to learn by doing something small before we rolled it out more broadly. I did not realize this was just back in December 2021. Has has it continued along over the last year plus, or was it just a kind of a one-off and then you're reassessing and and then you're going to expand it based on those lessons you learned? The 30 Days of Data Science was a one-time pilot that we conducted in December 2021 with an aim of making it into something more permanent, which we have since done. So after the pilot concluded at the end of December, we analyzed some of the results that we got from the pilot, from talking with the people who participated, 
getting feedback from them. We have over 90 employees uh, who participated in the pilot and they completed over 200 hours of training. So we got a lot of good information from them about what worked and what didn't. And then we analyzed that information from January of 2022 through the summer and then planned a kickoff of what was to come next, which we called Fiscal Data University. It's not a real accredited university. It's just something that we have internal to the Bureau of the Fiscal Service. But we launched our first cohort of Fiscal Data University in October of 2022, at the beginning of the fiscal year. And we were able to obtain funding to support the acquisition of about 40 licenses for an online data training vendor. And then we held an application process where we invited employees to apply and to tell their story about what they were going to do with this data um, education. And we tried to select our first cohort to make sure we had broad representation from across our business lines. And now this first cohort will be in Fiscal Data University for the period of a year. So whereas before we were testing it for just a month, now we have a a year-long cohort with 40 employees who are actively learning and and, and working through the content as we are in the middle of the fiscal year now. I definitely want to get into more details about the Fiscal Data University. We'll get there in a sec. Let me just take a half a step back. That data pilot, was there a reason why you thought, let's just do 30 days, let's just see how it works, versus running several pilots? I mean, the government is known for piloting and then piloting and then piloting again sometimes. So it's it's a little refreshing, to be honest, that you did one, learned from it, and then built from there. But was there any kind of feeling that you didn't learn enough or you didn't learn the right things? How, How did you know you were ready to maybe expand? The big thing that we learned, which wasn't something that we even articulated explicitly in the beginning, we sought out to to learn things like how to technically implement this in the right way, you know, what the best vendor would be. But the major thing that we learned was that people really wanted this to happen. Like there really was demand at the fiscal service. I mean, you could have imagined in December, like, We maybe had like six or seven people sign up and then that like dwindled down to three or four by the end of December. But instead it was, you know, quite the opposite. We were overwhelmed to receive like almost a hundred people who said that they wanted to be a, a part of this. And so I would say the major thing that we learned was that there was real demand and cause for us to act and to act quickly. I would say the other thing that we that the reason why we felt like we didn't need to do multiple pilots was because we got a ton of good information from the people who participated in the um, in the pilot. First of all, we, we were testing three different vendors who were providing the online content. So we got all the data that was collected, you know, by the vendors in their admin platform. And then we also did surveys and talked to people to learn what was working, what what didn't work. And I would say the other thing is that we're not the first ones to come up with this concept. There are, you know, some other places where we were able to do our own research about what had worked and what hadn't worked. So we're able to just go right to our our first year long cohort. Let's maybe talk a little bit about that cohort as well. You mentioned it's uh, started in October. Uh, You mentioned that it's a year long. Uh, How many students and and what are they doing during it? How's it split up? Just give me some of those basic details. 
the number of students that are in the first cohort is a function of the number of licenses that we were able to identify funding for. So we have 40 students participating, although I will say that that actually is a really good number for us in the size of organization that we have. So basically, fiscal data university consists of like three main things. It's students who are on their laptops taking data-related courses in some loose curriculum that we've laid out for them, number one. Number two is, and this is this is why the 40 people matters, we have recurring check-ins, like office hour style engagements with our office, the Office of the Chief Data Officer, which is kind of like sponsoring this whole thing. And those check-ins allow for us to talk with the students, to answer questions, for them to get to know each other and to form a little bit of a a community. And that's like really where the the size uh, of this starts to matter. You know, you could scale this to a thousand people, depending on the size of your business. But when you do that, it becomes harder to have smaller breakout groups to have people form relationships with each other, to know where to go to answer questions um, about certain topics. It just becomes harder to manage all that um, with a larger group. So anyway, the second piece of Fiscal Data University that we have right now is a uh, regular check-ins that are scheduled and also ad hoc as people have questions that come up, they can talk to people um, on my team. We, it, as a part of that, we also have some mentoring that's going on between more senior analysts and, and more junior analysts. The final third part of Fiscal Data University is that we ask the participants to go and identify real world analytics use cases that are in their business areas and that need attention. And those are essentially going to become the capstone projects that everybody completes at the end of fiscal data university. So rather than, you know, what you may see if, if like you were to go on independently to a, uh, to go through a data education course and you're given a data set about, you know, whatever star Wars or, you know, sepal length uh, of flowers and do something with that. We're trying to actually harvest all this energy and learning to solve like real challenges that we have today. So those are the three parts of it, the coursework, the community building and engagement um, with our office, and then the actual projects that people are going to be working on completing. And to be clear, the participants are from across Treasury Department or across Bureau of Fiscal Service, I should say. They're not just uh, SESers, not just GS12s and 15s. They really do run the gamut in in terms of program missionaries, but but across all parts of, of of your agency. Is that correct? Yeah, all of our business lines within the fiscal service are represented from the the transactional business lines that process payments to the HR business line. We've also tried to to get a good range of grades. Um, I think that we have people from grade seven to grade 15 who are participating. And really, that was important for us to get a broad cross-section because we are trying to say that data-informed or data-driven decision-making is something that should happen at all parts of our organization. It's not just the job of the chief data officer. It's not just the job of the CFO. It's not just the job of like a 14. We all need to be thinking in that way. And so we wanted to make sure we were getting a good cross-cut agency. It's also part of the understanding that 
different people bring different things to the discussion and having someone, if you had only 12s and 13s and 14s on the GS, you'd only get kind of a certain view. So by having some people in that mid-career range, GS7s and 9s, you, they're bringing up questions or concerns or whatever the issue is that maybe others don't see or miss. Uh, is Was that the other part of this objective by having such a broad range? You're also training for the future. It's kind of twofold. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Another broad goal that we have that we're trying to accomplish with Fiscal Data University is to make sure that our culture at the fiscal service is embracing and encouraging data, the use of data for decision-making. And you can imagine in, in many businesses or in, in agency, government agencies, where the use of data is looked at only from a risk perspective. You know, like there is a risk in taking data out of a system where it resides and doing something with it because some bad thing could happen as a result of it. What we want to do is to make sure that people see the other side of that the potential value that could be gained by using the data to understand what our customers want, what the American people um, are looking for, how we can uh, make processes more efficient, and to make that decision based on the positives and the risks. And I think in order to really move the culture, we do. We also need to have people who are leaders and directors and branch managers, but also people who are on the ground running our processes and, and operations um, and who may actually be opening up Excel and doing the analysis with uh, the data. Justin, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services and the Treasury Department's Chief Data Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services and the Treasury Department's Chief Data Officer. The measurement of success here is difficult. It's a year-long program, but maybe give me some of those, you know, kind of short-term measures. You talk about the number of courses, number of hours spent learning, but also what are some of those kind of the broader measures of, of success? Are you changing the culture? So start with maybe the shorter term, you know, more, more the measures that are more in front of you. Yeah, so far with our cohort of 40 students starting at the beginning of uh, the fiscal year, we have logged over 1,100 hours of training and 214 courses completed. So that is something that we're really happy about. One other thing I'll say that we've learned along the way, you know, which you see in as you know, commonly deployed in some apps that are geared at, at training or is the use of a leaderboard. It's like a gentle way of nudging competition, you know, trying to build a virtuous feedback cycle. Like you completed two courses this week. Like I see you doing that. And like, I want to do the, you know, I want to do the same thing. So we've tried to, we've tried to do a little version of that ourselves to encourage people to, to feel a little a spirit of friendly competition. Another metric that we are tracking is separate from Fiscal Data University, we have uh, something we called an, call an analytics community of practice, which is basically an, it's a broad open community that we have that's open to fiscal service employees, but also to contractors who support us. Fiscal service works a lot with the reserve banks, their employees who work with us are open to, to come. And basically that's a, a forum where People who are analysts come and they highlight the work that they're doing 
um, so that others can get inspired by what they're taking on, learn from their successes, learn from their failures, um, learn about what types of tools or techniques that they're using so that they can reach out and, and form connections. And so the reason I'm mentioning that is that we've also seen participation in those events grow as we've pushed Fiscal Day University out. You know, a couple of years ago, we had like a couple hundred people participating. Now it can be over 300 attendees who come to our monthly sessions. So we're also tracking like who's in the community of practice. You know, I think long-term, the thing that we want to do is to increase the number of analytics that are being deployed, whether those are production analytics that are using data to solve problems or advise us on something like in real ATO systems, or just one-off ad hoc analyses where someone asks a research question uses a thoughtful, standard, rigorous methodology, comes to an answer and and makes that one-time decision as a result of that. In general, we just want to see those types of analyses increasing. And, you know, one other way to think about this is that, you know, as you're going about your job, or as many people go about their jobs, they may have ideas about areas where data could be used to help them make a better decision. The problem that people often face is that there's a lot of friction between the moment that they have that idea and the time that they could come to an answer to that question. And the friction consists of like the data being hard to get, the data maybe having quality problems with it. You know, maybe there's not an appropriate environment to put the data. Maybe the person who's asking the question doesn't themselves have the right skills or confidence to be able to answer that question themselves. And what happens is somewhere in that process, people potentially give up and don't actually get to the end part. Well, what we want to do is reduce that friction so that when somebody has a thought about a question, they can quickly obtain the data, do the analysis, come to the answer, and then make for a better government. That's ultimately what we're we're trying to accomplish. And at the same time, because you cannot train everybody and you cannot offer training to everyone. I mean, 40 people, Bureau of Fiscal Service, Justin, remind me how, how many employees you have roughly? Roughly 3,500. So it's 1% if my math has done poorly. Uh, you also can use this as kind of a train the trainer method, right? Where you have this cohort who then can go back to their everyday jobs who are going to in their everyday jobs and go, oh, I can help you with that. Even some of that, that low level quote unquote data efforts or well, let me take that back to my group. I mean, is that part of that as well to, again, spread the culture of data-driven decision-making and, and lowering that friction? Yeah, totally. I mean, we want people to get involved in our communities of practice, even if they are not in this cohort themselves. And that is happening. You can see that by the, by the numbers increasing. Um, we also have, for people who have expressed interest in fiscal data university, but where we don't have the funding to support having additional licenses, We've tried to create a a set of curriculum that is either free or that has been pre-recorded or provided by us on our team or leverages other tools that we have access to. So it's like a it's like a curated grab bag of other things that we that you can do if you're really interested in, and passionate about uh, learning about data, but we couldn't get you an additional license. This group, they have a capstone project. You mentioned that. There's still more courses coming. 
Are there other things that are happening or other other things that they should expect to go through to kind of continue to advance their knowledge? We want people to continue on the, the track that they've uh, set forward on. So I, say, I would say the big thing that they're looking towards is tackling their uh, capstone projects and having the confidence um, and the right skills to be able to execute those and to go back to their business lines and say, you know, thank you for allowing me to participate in this um, activity. Like, here's what I am providing to help our office, you know, understand how to improve our operations and, and programs. So that that's one thing that that's very important. Another thing that we are trying to do, which which we kind of hinted at a little bit earlier in the discussion, is to identify some people who can serve as mentors, people who maybe are a little bit more experienced in doing analysis, whether that's like just in general with um, statistical knowledge, best practices, um, or accepted practices, or expertise within a specific language that we're focusing on, like SQL or Python, or even Excel, and encourage them to be leaders and to to create their own kind of informal groups of people who are trying to learn and improve within those skill sets um, to, to go to the people who are either already leaders or aspiring leaders in that that area. How different is this data university and even the 30 days of data science pilot? Yeah. How, how different is that than what maybe the Bureau of the Fiscal Service was doing previously around data science training? I mean, in many ways, you all are a data science agency, right? Data is your lifeblood. Of course, I guess we say that now for everyone, but how different is what you're doing today than you did a year ago or five years ago? We did have a good amount overall of uh, data education that was going on, but it was not coordinated in any way. And it existed basically in an ad hoc basis in pockets of the, uh, the organization. So there may be, there may have been like a single office that had a couple of people who were uh, participating in some type of data-related training. Maybe another office had four or five people who were doing something, maybe like one uh, single person over in another area doing something. But the, the key part of this is that everyone was doing something independently. And now we're all doing it together, coordinated way. And again, like I think one of the real keys to this is that data use cases can very often be more powerful when informed by other data and other parts of the organization that may speak to a different type of use case or another way to inform a use case that you're you're working on right now. So like as an example, combining human resource data with financial data can allow you to produce better projections for what your salaries and expenses will be across the the fiscal year. There are other examples like that, but part of the way in which it makes sense to discover what those synergies are, are by building connections between people in organizations who work in these different places so that they can talk to each other about what they're working on, what kind of data that they have. And that can allow people to think about how that data that exists over in this one system may actually be valuable to me in the project that I'm working on right now. And I think the reason why something like the data university of the pilot, how, you know, whatever kind of 
whatever you end up calling it, really by, by bringing that, those standards together ensures that the agency is walking forward in, in as lockstep as possible. 3,500 people, we all learn differently. I get that. But if you have this kind of set of here's our goals, here's the curriculum we're using, uh, I, I imagine the, the, then that's going to benefit everyone. Justin, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services and the Treasury Department's Chief Data Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Justin Marsico, the Bureau of the Fiscal Services and the Treasury Department's Chief Data Officer. The long-term plan is obviously to continue the data university and have another cohort, you know, starting next, next fiscal year, assuming everything goes well this year and you get funding and you get people are interested. What, what's the, what's the next steps here? I know you feel like we just got started, but as you look to 2024 and beyond. We are looking just like we did with the initial 30 days of data science pilot to learn lessons from this first year of experience. And I think one of the things that we're trying to wrestle with now, in addition to how to run a successful cohort, is thinking about what the right number of people is to have inside of a cohort. You know, so to the point that you made before, we have a a large workforce, and this is a small percent of it that are represented here. I think we need to, to sort out exactly how big our cohorts should be in the future or like what our theory is about what coverage of the organization um, needs to look like. One of the things we didn't talk about here in the interview, but one of the sources that we've looked to for inspiration um, as we've developed this has been the Census Bureau has something that they developed called EconView, which aims to educate their workforce about some of the basic principles of, of economics and in general, we've been seeking to, to learn about best practices from the statistical agencies to figure out how they apply within um, our financial agency, where we also where data is also very important to us, as you pointed out before. There also was an, another example uh, from the private sector that we were inspired by uh, from Airbnb, uh, which has a, a data university program. And one of the things we liked in particular about some of the writing they've done online about that was the emphasis on it's important how important it is to have a core team of data scientists, but it's really unwieldy to try to put a data scientist inside of every room or every meeting where people are trying to use data for decision making. And so their data university program was attempted to identify all different types of people around the workforce to make sure that there is a a base level of literacy and facility with data um, so that they could be confident in using data to make decisions. So we've been inspired by by a number of different places, but I wanted to call out those two as sources that we've we've tried to to learn from. I was actually going to ask that question next. So uh, made my job easy. I appreciate that of, of looking at it. Let's take a half a step back from whether it's the 30 days of science, that initial pilot or the data university, the, the bigger ish- initiative. The goal really here t- tags back to something that you all have outlined the Department of Treasury's objectives, better use of data, the Bureau of Fiscal Services objectives around data analytics, increasing those capabilities. And then as well as your office's vision, where do you see all this going? What do you want the workforce to look like, you know, three years from now, five years from now, because of these efforts and others, of course, 
but you said, you know, you want to help them kind of drive better decisions. You want them to help feel empowered to ask the right questions. Is, is that kind of that long-term view? Help me understand a little bit about where all this is going from a, if you take, you know, the 50,000 foot view. So one of the things I mentioned in the beginning is that we in the data community can often focus a lot of our energy on data standardization, data accessibility, data tools, um, and so on and so forth. And we have a, a kind of a way in which we talk about this here on my team, which I, I find really helpful. And it's to think about the use of data-driven decision-making in organizations as an intersection of the supply of data and the demand for data. So if your goal as an organization is to increase data-driven decision-making or data-informed decision-making, one of the things that you can do is you can uh, make your data more accessible. You can improve the quality of your data. You can deploy better tools to analyze the data. And those type of things I think about as making the supply of data more readily available. But there's only so far that you can improve data-driven decision-making if you don't also address the demand for data. And, and demand for data is like all of the things that we've been talking about here. It's the person in a meeting who hears a discussion going on, on on a certain topic and raises their hand and says, you know what, I think that we may have some information about this topic. Can we just spend 45 minutes trying to track down that information and make sure that we are making the best possible decision for the information that we already have in front of us. That is the demand for data. And the way that we cultivate that is by making it okay and encourage for that person to stop and to raise their hand by having a culture that says like, yes, that was a good idea, as opposed to like, come on, stop, we're just trying to get this over with here. That's what we mean by culture, um, is those those moments or those shortcuts that we ha- all have in our head about what's allowable, what's acceptable to ask in our organizations. And then we also want to make sure that while we have a trained core of data scientists who may execute on very complicated use cases, that we have a workforce across the board that feels comfortable talking about data, that feels comfortable asking questions about data ethics, that feels comfortable talking about the ethics of using AI or the ethics of making sure that we are taking DEIA concerns into account when we are doing analyses to come to a, a, data, a data-informed decision. That's what we want across the, the workforce. So as we speed up and increase the number of analytics that we are executing and deploying to make sure that we have the workforce that is asking the right questions and knowing how to apply the results in the right way. I think one of the biggest challenges for every agency is to under- help the workforce know what they don't know. If you don't know that you can ask that question, if you don't know that that data is available, if you don't know that what is possible, then it's hard to imagine what's possible. And and sometimes it starts by creating that confidence that, well, let me ask the question because I'll try to get the answer. And if the answer is not there, then how close can I get? Uh, and I think actually it's a great segue. Justin, you've been really generous with your time. 
you're also the chief data officer for the Bureau of the Fiscal Service. What else uh, is on your priority list? What's your to-do list look like beyond <laughs> this one big one about the data university? Are there other two or th- three other things you want to mention that you're working on? Well, one of the things that I am uh, obliged to talk about uh, in these conversations is that one of the roles that we have at the fiscal service in the data program, which results from the fiscal service sitting at the center of the financial management community in the federal government, is our data transparency initiatives. We have a couple of different ways in which we provide lots and lots of data on federal spending and federal finances in general to the public. One of those is usaspending.gov, where people can go and find detailed information about uh, federal contracts, no matter what agency, uh, what's responsible for issuing them, grants, loans, financial assistance, COVID-related spending, all available with easy-to-use APIs and interactive features on the website. We also have another way in which we provide general financial data about the government through a website called fiscaldata.treasury.gov. One of the key things that we've done uh, on fiscaldata.treasury.gov recently is to take a product that we launched a couple of years ago called Your Guide to America's Finances, which we launched as a year in review some of the basics of federal finance, revenue, federal government revenue, uh, money coming into the federal government, federal spending, the deficit and debt. We took that from being a a product that we updated once a year at the end of the fiscal year, and we've now powered it by API so that you can go into your Guide to America's Finances, any one of those different explainer topics, revenue, spending, deficit, and debt, and we automatically provide you with the most current data that's out there. So you can go to our debt page and see the most current debt number that was published potentially the day before. You can see the deficit numbers for the year that were published in the in the prior month, and so on and so forth, and drill into any one of those topics. What we're trying to do there is to blend providing current data about the finances of the government with easy to understand explanations so that you don't have to be an expert, you don't have to be an accountant or a finance uh, professional to understand these concepts and to feel a sense of ownership over your government, government of the United States. Justin, I've actually looked at that site. I think the last time I saw you speak a couple months ago, uh, you brought this up and it was news to me. So I went to it and looked at it. It's a great site. Great in the sense of easy to use, maybe a little depressing to see all the numbers and how much money is being spent, but that's a whole different discussion. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time today. I very much enjoyed the conversation and I learned a lot. So uh, let me thank my guest, Justin Marsico is the Bureau of the Fiscal Services Chief Data Officer. Justin, always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 